0: Well, grab your Bible and turn to First John. And tonight we are in chapter two. We're going to look at the first two verses. John, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My wife has this amazing spiritual gift where she can watch the first half of just about any movie and know exactly how it's going to end. Any of you have that gift here tonight? Anybody else? Well, she knows how to recognize plots. And there is a movie plot that has appeared so many times in so many movies. If you've watched even a few movies, at some point you've seen it. Maybe it's a sports movie. Maybe it's a war movie. But there's a conflict The good guys are fighting the bad guys. It looks like the bad guys are going to prevail and the good guys have no chance. But then they pull out the secret weapon, whatever that is in that particular movie. They pull out the secret weapon and just when you least expect it, everything changes and the good guys win. Well, in the Christian life, it's as if we have a secret weapon. You could argue we have a number of secret weapons in the Christian life, but none greater than what Paul said in Colossians 1:17. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me, Christ in you, the fact that Jesus lives in us in, and is working through us, He is our secret weapon. He is the reason why we can be more than conquerors. He's the reason why we can rejoice when others despair. He's the reason why we can resist temptation and prevail through trials. In our scripture tonight, John refers to Jesus in such a way. And he's making the case, we're only going to look at two verses, John is making the case in the the first part of this chapter that Jesus is our secret weapon. He is the reason why we can do the things he just told us to do and not do the things he told us not to do in the verses before at the end of chapter 1. Now, last week, if you weren't here, we looked at the second half of 1 John 1, John made a statement. He said, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We talked about what it means that God is light. Then John applied that statement because God is light. He said, if we're walking in the dark, we do not practice the truth. Those who've been genuinely saved, those who have been truly saved, will not walk in the dark. In other words, their lives will not completely revolve around sin like the man or woman of this world. Then the other side of that coin, he said, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. He's not talking about that initial cleansing of, of justification. He's talking about that ongoing cleansing of sanctification in which God cleanses us of those sinful habits and those sinful patterns and the sinful thinking in our lives. And this process will take place in the believer's life. Because God is light, these two things are true. But then John issues some clarification. Somebody might read what he just said and said, oh, I guess that means since I am in the light, I'm not going to sin anymore. And John wants to clear that up right away. By the way, this is where you get that doctrine of perfectionism that you see, particularly in some of the Pentecostal uh, churches. But John says, no, if we claim to be sinless, we're deceiving ourselves And we make God out to be a liar because we're denying His assessment of us in Scripture. Now that leads to a question. If saved people are going to walk in the light, and they are not going to walk in the darkness, but we will still sin, what happens with that sin? How do we respond to that sin? And we saw that ninth verse. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe I told you that your homework last week was to memorize 1 John 1, 9. All right. Now, how many of you know 1 John 1, 9? How many of you? It doesn't have to be in English. All right. English, Spanish, Swahili. How many of you know 1 John 1, 9? Can you recite it? All right. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There you go. So if you don't know it, take another week. That's one of those verses I think every Christian ought to have hidden in their hearts. This is the promise of God. We don't have to confess our sins a thousand times for God to hear us and forgive us. We can know that whenever and wherever we confess our sins, He will forgive us, meaning He'll restore us to our right close fellowship. He'll cleanse us. That means he will sanctify us so that sin loses its luster and we actually desire that sin less and less. Now, based on everything we read in John, 1 John chapter 1, there are two things we can do and we must do. We must take sin seriously and we must confront sin boldly. We should take it seriously because it is serious. And as I said, if someone's life completely revolves around sin, that is evidence of someone who has not been saved. But we can also confront sin boldly. We don't have to fear uh, because we still sin. We don't have to question our salvation every single time we commit a sin. And the reason why is found in the passage that we're looking at tonight so just two verses let's read these verses first john two one and two my little children these things i write to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and he himself is the propitiation For our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. We don't have to fear when we sin. We don't have to doubt when we sin, because we have Jesus, and he is two things to us in this passage. In verse 1, John said he is our advocate, and in verse 2, he is our propitiation, He is our advocate. He is our propitiation. That's your outline of our passage tonight. But we're going to talk about both of these two things. Jesus is our advocate. Verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John says, my little children. Children. This is a term of endearment that he uses seven times in this letter. And if John the Apostle was as old as we believe he was when he was inspired to write this, well, that means everybody else was like a little child compared to him. I guess when you get to be a certain age, everyone's a baby, right? He says, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Now, John was not under the illusion that they could be sinless, but he absolutely believed that they could sin less. Understand the difference. They won't be, we won't be sinless on this side of heaven, but if someone has experienced this new birth, they will sin less. In fact, John's prayer so they would not commit a single sin. And this is always the mark we press towards, even though uh, we'll never reach it on this side of heaven. And there's this tension inside of us that we just live with. We hate sin. We preach against sin. We fight against it. And yet, we don't always win the battle, do we? And when that happens, of course, the devil is ready to accuse us. And the world is ready to accuse us. And there's always someone there to point a finger and say, see, look at the hypocrites. They preach about sin, but they still commit it. And to an extent, this tension is going to be inevitable. I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I'm ready to beat myself up, sometimes over sin, before anybody else. So how do I respond to the sin in my own life. Where does that leave me when I sin? John immediately answers this question. He says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate. Now, two key words I want to mention, the word if and the word advocate. That word if, such a small little word. There were actually two different Greek words that translate if. There's the word If, in the Greek, that they only used when they were assuming a statement to be true. If the sun rises. And, of course, we know that it will. Well, there's another word for if that they used to assume that the statement is false. If the Jaguars ever win the Super Bowl. And, of course, they will not. Okay? So, which one do you think John uses? When he says, and if anyone sins, he's using the first one. If anyone sins and they will, it is simply a question of when and how often. But he says, when that happens, we have an advocate. Now, if ever there were a word for you to underline, or highlight, or circle in your Bible. If you're taking notes, this might be it. Now, the Greek word that he uses here for advocate, it may surprise you. Does anybody happen to know what this Greek word for advocate is? I guarantee you, you've been here at this church long enough, you've heard it numerous times. Anybody know what that word is? It's the word paraclete. You remember that word? That word, paraclete. Now, that word only occurs five times in the Bible. Four times in the Gospel of John, and every time it is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. It occurs one time in the book of First John right here, but this time in reference to Jesus. Paraclete is a combination of two words, para, meaning along with, and cleat, meaning to walk. Like a football player might wear cleats, paraclete. You put it together, it means someone who walks alongside us. Someone who walks alongside us. Now, in the Gospel of John, the Holy Spirit is our paraclete, He's the one who not only lives within us, but there is a sense in which he walks alongside us. He goes wherever we go. And there's a sense, John says, in which Jesus is also our paraclete, in which he walks with us wherever we go. I read an interesting story about some missionaries in Africa who were reaching out to a new people group, and they were translating the Bible into the Kare language, and they were kind of struggling to figure out how to translate the word paraclete. Well, one day these missionaries noticed something. They saw a group of porters, men carrying very large loads, uh, big weights on top of their heads, And they noticed as these men were in single file line walking with these big weights on their heads, they noticed there was one man who wasn't carrying anything at all. And then they noticed on another day a group of porters walking, and once again everybody had these great big heavy weights, except for one person, not the same guy, but someone, one person, Uh, Always somebody different, but always at least one person in the group who wasn't carrying anything at all. And so these missionaries saw that and they thought, oh, well, that, that guy, he must be the boss. He's the one supervising everyone else. He's the one telling everybody else what to do. Eventually they learned that this one person was not the boss. He had a special job. He was there because inevitably one of those men would collapse beneath their heavy load. And when they did, he was the one whose job it was to either pick up and carry that load or, if necessary, pick up and carry the one who had fallen. The missionary saw that and said, that's the word we're going to use for paraclete. And likewise, you have a paraclete. I have a paraclete. We have the paraclete of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We have the paraclete of the God the Son uh, who is at the right hand of the Father advocating for us, helping us in our time of need. And John calls him, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's probably a reference uh, to Isaiah 53 in which the Messiah is referred to as the righteous servant, The righteous servant of Isaiah 53, he is your helper, he is your comforter, he's your advocate, he is your lawyer. I love what Hebrews 7.25 says. Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I love that. He always makes intercession. That means there's never a trial that you will face, large or small, in which Jesus has not prayed for you. He prayed for you to have strength. He prayed for you to resist temptation. He prayed for you to overcome. Imagine you have just failed maybe you don't have to imagine because you're there you just sinned you just failed and you're so disappointed in yourself you are asking yourself man how in the world could i ever do blank and when you are at that moment remember jesus knew it would happen and before it happened jesus himself at the right hand of the father prayed for you, he pleaded on your behalf, he pleaded the very blood that he shed on the cross, he said, Father, I died for that sin, he prayed for mercy, he prayed for your repentance, he prayed for your restoration, he prayed that after you fell, you would get back up again, because Jesus, our high priest, always makes intercession for us. And in this sense, he is our advocate. I'm so glad that we have an advocate. But that's not the only thing about Jesus here that makes him like our secret weapon. He is our advocate. And we see in verse 2, he is also our propitiation. Look at verse 2 one more time. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. John could have simply said, He is our propitiation. And would have been true. John says, He Himself is meaning he and no one else meaning only jesus did this for us only jesus is our propitiation now once again here's another word to mark or to highlight or to underline it is not however a word most of us use on a day-to-day basis I mean, when was the last time outside of Bible study that you just casually threw the word propitiation into a conversation? Anybody? Probably not. This is a word we need to understand. This is a word we need to define because as we're gonna see, this is a very important word to understand what Jesus did for us at the cross. If you want to understand the atonement, you need to understand this word and what it means. Some newer translations say that he is our, quote, atoning sacrifice. And I guess that's okay. It doesn't really capture everything the word means. You could say he himself is the satisfaction for our sins. This word is the picture. It has the picture of turning away the wrath and the judgment of God. What he's simply saying is by his death on the cross, the wrath of God was turned away from you. It was turned away from me. Remember what we learned last week on Sunday morning in John chapter 3? This same John said, the one who does not believe, the wrath of God abides on him. God's response to sin is wrath because God is holy and sin is an affront to God's holiness and therefore as long as someone is still in their sin until that point when their sin is forgiven God's wrath continues to abide on them this is an ongoing state of It kind of reminds me of that old Charlie Brown commercial where everywhere he goes, everywhere he walks, there's that little storm cloud just above him, and he can't escape it, always raining down on him, always lightning falling down on him. Everywhere he goes, it just abides on him. Well, for the lost person, God's wrath is upon them. It abides on them wherever they go. And yes, God loves them but his uh, wrath abides on them, and both of those statements are true at the same time. Now, this Greek word here is the word hilasmos that word for propitiation, Hilasmos. It's part uh, of a word group that only appears four times in the New Testament. And so I want just to read to you these other verses that refer to propitiation. One of them is Romans 3:25. Romans chapter 3:25. Speaking of Jesus it says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Now, let me pause right there. Notice that Jesus had to be our propitiation to demonstrate his, meaning God's righteousness, to prove that God is indeed just. We know that if a man is driving in town and he just blatantly drives straight through, a red light. He doesn't just push the yellow a little bit too much. No, it's red when he gets there. It's red when he passes through. It's still red when it's behind him. And let's say he just blows right through that red light and he gets caught and that man goes to court and he says, but your honor, I stop at that red light a majority of the times that I come to that intersection, maybe even 55, 60% of the time. Well that judge is not going to ignore the offense on that basis because an offense was committed and justice demands retribution. We all understand that. Well if we all under that understand that to be true when it comes to something as minor as a traffic violation how much more true is it when it comes to bigger things and greater things, how much more true is that when it comes to sin, which is treason against God. God must deal with sin. He must punish sin. And if He does not, He is not righteous. He is not just. And by the way, if God is not just... We're in a whole heap of trouble, all of us, because there's no hope that He's going to fix this broken world we have. There's nothing that tells us evil would not and will not prevail if God is not just. That's why God won't just ignore sin. If God simply ignored sin, He could show Himself to be merciful, but He would not be just Thus Jesus, John said, is our propitiation. The justice we deserved fell on him so that God would be found righteous and a way would be made for sinners to be saved. And by the way, notice in that Romans three twenty-five verse, Paul also said we receive that propitiation through faith. It is applied to us. In response to faith, by believing in Jesus. Now that's one of the four times. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 12, we see that word propitiation again. and I want you to notice the emphasis in this verse. in Hebrews 2:12, "Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest." In things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Once again, there's that word, propitiation. And notice this time, there's an emphasis on Jesus becoming like his brethren. He had to be a man to die for men. He had to walk in our shoes to be able to take our place. He had to go through the same trials and temptations in life and be without sin so that he could exchange his innocence for our guilt and be our propitiation. Now, two times this word propitiation is used in 1 John 1 we just read in 1 John 2.2. 2. He uses it again in chapter 4, verse 10. And listen to this. And this is... Love, Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's only one reason why God the Father would be willing to pour out His wrath on His only begotten Son, because He loves us. Because He loves us. This is how we know what love is, John said. Not that we have loved Him, but that He loved us and sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. Now when you look at these verses together, you start to get a clearer picture of, of just what it means for Jesus to be our propitiation. We rightly deserved God's wrath. We rightly deserved judgment. God would have been just in condemning us, but His Son stepped in. He took upon Himself the full wrath of God that would have rightly been poured out on you and on me and listen there is no more wonderful news in all of the world than this news that christ endured the wrath of god in our place so that our sins are no longer counted against us this is what it means for jesus to be the propitiation for our sins and i have to point out what john says next At the very end of verse 2, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now this verse is highly debated, somewhat controversial to say the least, but I want you to notice when John says Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and then he says but not ours only. Now to understand what he's saying, you need to mark those words not ours only. Well, who exactly he is he referring to when he says ours meaning us. I believe the context makes it pretty clear. John's been speaking to believers just 6 verses earlier, those who do not walk in darkness, just 5 verses earlier those who walk in light, and those whose sins are cleansed by Jesus. In the verse before, those who have Jesus as their advocate, I think the context is pretty clear who John is referring to. In that context, John says, Jesus is our propitiation, but not ours only so he refers to us, but then says this propitiation was for someone else outside of this group of people that we are a part of who don't walk in darkness and who walk in light and whose sins are being cleansed and they have Jesus as their advocate. So he says that Jesus did this on the cross, he was our propitiation, but not ours only, he became propitiation for us. He said and the whole world not just some of the world the whole world now this propitiation is applied not to everyone it is only applied to those who believe but it is provided for everyone and anyone can receive it and because that is true because jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only but for the whole world we should do everything we can to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel because the same assurance we have they can have we have an advocate they can have an advocate jesus is our propitiation for our sins but not ours only but also for the sins of the world you take all this together what john is saying in these first two verses he's saying don't sin it's dangerous but when you do sin and you will don't despair Because you have an advocate. Because your attorney is the son of the judge. Because he is righteous and he makes his case for you not on the basis of your performance but on the basis of his propitiation, his sacrifice. So knowing that, be encouraged yes even when you stumble even when you fall even when you sin yes be encouraged put verse chapter 1 verse 9 into practice and then go tell the whole world what god has done for them in christ let's pray oh god we are so glad that we have an advocate, that we have Jesus, that we have a paraclete, someone who walks alongside of us, someone who defends us, someone who pleads our case, someone who is always making intercession for us, and to think that he is not only our paraclete, our advocate, But he is also the propitiation for our sins. To know that Jesus was willing to go to the cross where there your wrath was poured out on him. And the demands of the law were met and you were satisfied. And to think that Jesus did this That he is not only our propitiation, but for the whole world, which means we've got good news that we should not and we must not keep to ourselves. So Father, would you help us wherever we go this week to be on the lookout. Keep our spiritual antenna high to see those individuals around us who need to hear, who are lost. Help us to see and respond to those divine appointments in our lives and God we pray you would give us some divine appointments this week give us some scenarios some situations where you just lined everything up just right and put everything in place so that we could share the gospel with just the right person at just the right time at that moment when they're ready to hear and respond thank you God for your word tonight and for all that we've we've learned I pray God that uh, we would not just be hearers but doers And Father, thank you for each one who's here tonight. Thank you for this time that we could spend in your word. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. And uh, we'll continue. We'll pick up. I think uh, next week we'll probably get verses uh, 3 through 11. Uh, But we'll continue our study of this great book. So we see. see you next week.